Hey, my name is Ben, and like Pastor Andy said, we are so glad that you are here. In this message series, we're going to be talking about God. Of course, we're a church, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to be looking at the Bible, but we're going to be talking about us as well. We're calling it Better Together. Now, what you just did was met each other and asked what you're going to do this summer. So I wanted to ask you, Pastor Andy, what are you and your family going to do this summer? We are leaving for vacation. We're going down to Florida uh, because Jesus loves the beach. That's where we would go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, we're going to hang out with some good friends down in Florida and just, just relax. Because I plan to play a lot of golf, too. Yeah. Now, do you, does your wife play golf with you? No, no. And so what are you going to do with her? Uh I don't have that figured out at all. All right, that's good, that's good. It's not about her, it's about (laughs) me playing golf. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Ben, for bringing that up. Yeah, no problem. That that worked out well. My my wife, Jill, and I, uh, we have four children, and we're going to take a road trip up to a glacier national park. I'm going to try to get a chance to see the northern lights. Mm. That's my goal. So, uh, yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're looking forward to it, and uh, that's going to happen in July, so we're, we're thrilled about it. Hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk through a uh, passage in the Bible and just take our time and work through it. This passage is powerful, and it's relevant to where we are. It's found in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Now, that book, 1 Thessalonians, in our Bible, was written to a city, a church, that met in a city called Thessalonica. Thessalonica. Now, that's still a city today in Greece. I mean, you can go and visit it. It's got about a million people, and it's a very ancient city. It goes back about 300 years before Jesus. And a gentleman by the name of Philip II, who you may not know, but you know his son. His son is called Alexander the Great. Philip II had a daughter, and he had just beat uh, in a a battle a group of people uh, called the Thessalians. And at at the edge of that victory, he has a daughter. And he names his daughter Thessalonica. And then the city then gets named after his daughter, Thessalonica. The, the, the Thessalians and then Nike. Maybe you've heard of Nike. It's victory. It's a victory over the Thessalians. And so Thessalonians. And they were known for their good shoes. They right? had very good shoes yeah. at, at Thessalonians. That's right. Nike. And, and at some point, after Jesus is born a few hundred years later, um, the Apostle Paul makes a trip to that city. And he meets with a group of people, and the gospel is preached, and they share their lives together for a bit, and a church is formed. And then Paul goes on, and he travels all around the known world. And he writes letters back to these people. It's pre-email, pre-internet, pre-phone. And he writes letters back. And in fact, the first letter of the Apostle Paul that we have in our Bible, the first one is this one here. And some people have said it's his most personal letter. And it's very much about his heart for them. He's like, all right, we, we were together for this period of time. Great things happened. And I've been reflecting on that. And these are my encouraging words to you on that. So, Andy, we're going to begin with uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Do you want Yeah, and, w- and when we found this verse, we felt like it was a moment. So mm. I, I just want to kind of acknowledge that for our community. Um, this is, for us, it's an important text that guides kind of why we exist. And so we're often sitting in decision points going, does this help us fulfill this verse, some of the dynamics in the verse so we're certainly inviting everybody in the church to kind of lean towards this verse and um, become more familiar with it um, because it's an important piece. And so Paul opens, if you've got your Bibles, First Thessalonians 2, otherwise it'll be on the screen. 
And then we'll just teach and we'll pause. We'll teach and we'll pause. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. And I just want to, I want to pause on that statement because a healthy church has results. Okay? It, a, a healthy community produces something. And um, so sometimes we like to spiritualize that it's not about numbers. And that sounds really spiritual. It actually is important. It's a dynamic within the church community that you're not just simply counting the count, but people are numbers. There's a name attached to that number. That person has a soul. That person has a story. God died for that person and has a deep plan. So Paul unapologetically says there's results that we want to celebrate. And as we come together as a community, one church new to the community is learning how to engage with this bold step, these steps. And gosh, maybe the question is, why do we take these every week? Why do you do this every week? This isn't my experience. I, the reason why I think this is, is a, an important part of our morning and an important part of your faith journey is because you get to leave here and talk results, talk journey. You can measure things and you can say, what am I engaged with? Last week I took the bold step of praying about denying myself, tape that to my computer screen because I wanted results. I didn't want to just hear the word of God and then leave and go, oh, that was great. I thought Ben had a good message. Yay. No, I wanted to learn to deny myself. So Paul starts right out and says, a healthy church is a church without results. And then he moves through it and says, talks about some of his challenges. So Ben, you want to want to walk through those couple of verses? I do. Um, so here we are, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. Here's what he says. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. So the city before he got to Thessalonica. As you know, but with the help of God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. And I think the the part that stands there for me is this immediate sense that Paul has to defend himself. Paul has all this good work, and what's going on is there are people within the community that, that are questioning Paul's motives. Why is he doing that? What's he really, what's up his sleeve kind of thing? And uh, the more that Ben and I and the team pray through and think on, what would sabotage are two churches merging stronger than ever? And there's still a lot of work to be done. Is if we enter into relationships of mistrust. And the, the, the healthy part of a community is when there's high trust. And culturally speaking, isn't that difficult? Because what do we say? Trust is earned. Is it? Or as a Christ follower, are we supposed to give it to each other? You need to wrestle with that a little bit. Because I would submit to you that trust needs to be given till it's lost. But Paul's watching over this and he's immediately having to defend himself in the midst of good things because there are groups of people that are suspicious. And so it's an important statement that what makes our better together stronger and truly high impact is that when we use our words for trust, when we use our words to speak life and not death, not death, the power of the tongue. Well, what, what's cool here is we have two concepts so far that we're wrestling with. The, the first one is, is 
what are the results of God's work, specifically in our context of two churches yeah. coming together. And, and then the other, the other concept we're, we're going to talk about for just a second is, well, what do we do now? Is there more? So I want to take a moment and just introduce to you some of the results that have happened since uh, we've gotten together. And I'm going to tell you, it's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. In fact, it's so incredible that we thought it was so important to slow down just enough to talk about the fact that it's so good that we have to really steward this opportunity. We have to steward this opportunity as managers, as people engaged in what God is doing. So here's some of the things that, that, that have happened since we've come together. In about the last six weeks or so, uh, almost 60 adults have committed their lives to Christ in a new way. They checked next step A there on your connect card, which says, today I'm choosing to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, that's a big, big, big deal. We don't know all that that means. Some people check it because what they're trying to say isn't fully worded on those next steps, so that's the closest thing. But for many of them, it's the full engagement of Jesus in their lives, Andy. And I don't know in Four Corners history that we've had a six-week period of time where we could say 60 adults did that. Yeah. that that's absolutely incredible. We, we hadn't had that at Lifepoint ever. Yeah. And so just in that one little thing, you know, when we started Four Corners, and I know when you guys started Lifepoint because we were friends and chatting about that, our hope was that people would come to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their lives. So that's happening. Here's another thing that's happened. We have expanded our kids' ministry and student ministry team. We're all about the next generation. You don't have to walk far in this building to see our value for kids and students. Well, we've had great space, we've had great programming, but we needed expanded teams. And those teams have dramatically increased in number, which gives us greater capacity to serve this community. Our hope is that every home in North Cincinnati would experience real love now. That's a slogan for us, but it's really our heartbeat. Real love now through Jesus that all that God has to offer to them would come crashing into their lives and that that would happen for every home. And now we have a team that can do that for the next generation. We don't just have a team, but we increase the space as well. So 60 people, expanded kids and student team, and increased space since we've come together over the last 30 days or so. Again, giving more room. Our hope was that about 1,000 people could come together in two services on a Sunday morning and experience community, do the word of God together, and leave this place and serve. We've got uh, expanded preschool area. The staffing load is more right-sized. Um, LifePoint, before you guys came on board, uh, our staff was pressed on every side. And we were just feeling the crunch of some transitions. And man, in the last 30 days, while we're running fast, we've also been able to breathe deeper. Because the truth is, is we needed this. And now our staff is more right-sized, and we're not just trying to plug holes. We're actually looking at opportunities. And it's pretty incredible what God has yeah. done already. Yeah. It's fun to be able to dream, you know. And, and for LifePoint, our journey was, you know, about four, five, seven years in, we were starting to, to I think, really explore, God, what's the next season? And, uh, you know, little did I know that I think he had that question already answered, and it was this journey. And it's been a difficult journey in some respects, and it's been a, a beautiful thing in the middle of it all as well. And so I, I'm just, you know, I'm excited. And I'll, I will give almost anything to see 60 people come to faith. Yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> incredible. That, 
So, so we've already seen some results. And so here's the question the staff is asking, the, the leadership of this church. What if there's more? Yes. What, what if there's more? I mean, what if it wasn't just coming together to deal with the felt needs and give us some kind of spiritual chills, make a difference for a few people? But what if there's more? And what do we need to do to be good stewards of that? That's why we're wrestling with this right. passage. There were results. But in times of change and transition, it's real easy for mistrust and suspicion to creep up. Yeah, yeah, because, you, well, you're merging, you're changing, and so you don't know, and you, you certainly are, you te- I tend to measure change as how does it affect me. Yeah, oh, I and do that's, too. That's, that's the primary filter. Instead of what opportunities can I grow in, what, what might I have to lay down something that I love for something that I love more? Yeah. And, and so, you know, I get emotional when I think about impact because it's, it required me to move. I remember sitting on this stage talking about, uh, you know, if God had come and said, do you want to, you know, see kids moved out of the, of the human trafficking? Do you want to reach Haiti in a new impact? Do you want to be part of a community of 800 to 1,000 people? Because, again, that's not just a number thing. That's a resource opportunity thing. I've been a part of a church of 5,000. I understand the impact of something large that you can do versus a church of 200. And when I started thinking through those things, I said, yes, 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 yes. And God just simply said, well, then shift over here. And I wonder what he's asked you to do. What is is he saying? Hey, if you want to be a part of something big, just shift. Lay down something that you've come to love to reach for something that you love more. And, And again, some of the powerful words of Paul, he begins to talk through this and starts to say what's really at stake. In verse four, he says, on the contrary, he's beginning to talk through himself. He's, he says, uh, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So I would say to you, God has entrusted this church with something. You're in tr- uh, we are entrusted with the gospel. And then listen to this statement. We're not trying to please people, but God. Because see, if I were simply out to please people, I would stay comfortable. <laughs> if we're simply trying to please people, I would think about more about what you think of me than what I need to do to please and honor God. Now, those aren't always in opposition, but they can be. I would not pursue maybe something challenging. I would pursue something simple and safe. And so I'm sensing God saying, who are we ultimately trying to please here? Andy, that's that's a great question because what's at stake is, is, who are we trying to honor? How do we honor God with this? Right. Do we stay the same or do we press in? So, so Paul, again, trying to unpack this. All right, we had this great move of God when we were there. Time has passed. He's communicating back and they're kind of reflecting. Here's some challenges that, shown up, that have shown up. So in verse 5 he says, you know, we never used flattery. He's kind of coming against, you know, what are the motives again? We didn't really use flattery. No, we didn't put on a mask to cover up greed. And he says, God's our witness. We're not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Mm. I, I love this. I love, I love when the Apostle Paul gets on this family language. And for, for the rest of our time together, as we plow through a couple more verses to get to our key verse for today, you're going to hear some family language. And there's a real strong sense in which we are a family, an extended family. 
That's why when the Bible talks about a local church, it calls people brothers and sisters. Now, in this room, there are people you don't really know. Maybe you met somebody just a few minutes ago and found out what they're going to do this summer. But biblically speaking, spiritually speaking, you are united. And in some ways, Andy, our goal is to discover that sense of being united and then live that out, make it real in our lives. We're already part of the family of God. You really are my brother or sister. The Apostle Paul, in reflecting on starting that church at Thessalonica, he says, here's the deal. We came, not lording it over you, but we came together as brothers and sisters to do this thing that God called us to do. It's a, it's a family on a mission. Yeah, and then he starts to shift in. Look at this verse here, and then he illustrates, he takes some really interesting illustrations. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, and I think all of us really immediately understand that sensitivity and um, I remember when Christine, my wife, switched into becoming a mother. Uh, our journey of that is that our children were adopted. It was a very quick um, discovery to be parents. We'll talk about that another time. But I remember thinking, you know, we were at Starbucks, and it's a true story. We were at Starbucks, and the doctor had said, hey, whatever you do, because Mrs. Bowen had come in the winter, he said, don't go to church, because that place is a Petri dish. So he didn't know what I did. And then he said, mm. uh, you know, and be careful because RSV was around, and that can kill children. We were at Starbucks, and a pretty big place. We were there, and somebody coughs from across the room. I, I'm not kidding you. Christine, I think she pushed me, grabbed Owen, and ran out of Starbucks <laughs> like it was a, like the Secret Service. And I was like, what happened? But that maternal dynamic immediately surfaced in her and you see it in Paul just as this nursing mom so I'm nurturing my children I'm a child and I'm nurturing so we cared for you because we loved you so much we we're delighted to do something we're delighted to do something and I I know this is a big dynamic of growth is that when people shift from thinking as simply a child you know what do I get what are, what are you going to give me to what can I give you how can I nurse your spiritual development? Could you imagine if everybody in this room, and I, and I hope this analogy doesn't offend, you began to think, how do I invest and nurture and nurse people's spiritual development? It is my role as a Christ follower to influence, shape, and pour into you. I'm responsible for Ben's spiritual growth. And Ben is responsible for mine. That is a major shift then on how I think of Ben. Because I don't see him as an adversary. I see him as a friend. I see him as someone I care for and someone I'm responsible to. And when we begin to act in that way, man, trust goes up. Compassion goes up. And the welfare of the community is the first thing we pursue. What's really cool about this is, is we get a both and. We get to enjoy each other as children, as siblings, loved by our Heavenly Father, experiencing all the benefits. And we get the privilege of stepping into that parental role where we care about yeah. what's going on. Yeah. And Andy, this brings us right to the brink of what really is the point for the day. Because yeah. in Paul's thinking, this is all set up. Right? So we had great time together, saw some results. There were some challenges. Let's talk about trust versus suspicion here. But really, here's what we think is God's word for us today. And I want to read it there for you at verse 8. Here's what Paul says. 
so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much. We were delighted, not duty, not burdened. We took joy in this. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. We delight in sharing the good news of God and our lives. Now, now it's obvious. It should be obvious. I think that church is all about the gospel. I mean, every Sunday we do an opportunity for people to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We take time to work through Scripture to make sure that we're growing in our understanding of the good news of God. So we get that. LifePoint did that well. Four Corners did that well. But at Thessalonica, Paul didn't just deliver truth. They didn't just exchange information that people bought into. They literally shared their lives. And that's when it gets messy. It's incredibly messy that's, to share lives. That's, that's what's, I think, the hardest part of church. With, without a doubt. Lives. Yeah, so the gospel and our lives. And we believe that this verse is so important that for the next several months, in fact, our small group ministry, adult ministry, which is a big part of us taking what happens in this room and drilling down on it in not the large group setting, but in smaller group setting, not seated, seated in rows, but getting together in circles and having conversations. This is our rallying cry, Andy. Yeah, and, and you're I, leading that charge for us. Yeah, and I, yeah, because I, I believe the, the greatest challenges I've ever faced as a pastor are not theological discussions. They've been relational dynamics when people have gone sideways. And I think if I were to say you know, this to you guys, I, I think the reasons why relationships are hard to form is because it puts a, a flesh to your theology. You know, I can believe a lot of things, but then how I treat you and how I respond to you immediately illustrates what we believe. That's why I believe, that's why I'm such a proponent of the action of the next step. Um, and and the, the, the com competition on great relationships in churches is schedule. It just takes time. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't come naturally. Some of you really, it's just not a comfortable thing to do. People are weird. I, let's just be honest. I'm weird. You hung around me. You might not like me. What do you do with that? You know, and, and then I think our own hangups and our own hurts and our sin, our own sin, my selfish nature, the need for me to act like a child, even at my age. I still act like a child often. Now, I can mask it under a great theology, but the reality is I, I lean towards selfishness. And so the tension in a church, a great church, is the sharing of the gospel and the sharing of lives. When we lose one, we actually affect the other. Right. And it's a big, big dynamic that we need to continue to pursue. And as your pastors, we need to referee healthy relationships. It is our primary, one of our primary callings is to call you towards health, health. And you'll resist that if your initial actions are always mistrust. Always mistrust. Versus, I trust this guy. He's my pastor. She's my pastor. And she's awakening in me the beauty of living out the gospel and living it in relationships. Yeah, so verse 11. Look at this family thing continuing. So you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Encouraging. Well, there's something we could probably use more of, right? Yes. Comforting and urging, encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So we heard about family together, brothers and sisters, mothers and now fathers. I'm a dad. 
got four kids. In fact, I think I have a picture of my daughter and I, one of our favorite days early on. Guys, can you pull that up? Can you see that? Maybe, maybe not. Hmm, isn't that awesome? Look how wonderful these smiles we're having. Let me tell you what, what this picture is. We are uh, at Disney World, and uh, we lived in Florida at the time, and, and uh, you know, we were about an hour. Our driveway was one hour from the parking lot at Disney. So we didn't have a lot of money or anything, but, but I wanted my daughter to experience this. And so we go, and I've got this awesome picture, I promise you, of us. She's sitting, <laughs> she's sitting on the, uh, the little parking lot moving system, you know, the tram. And we're just riding that thing around and uh, having a great time. Now, we never went into the park. Uh, I didn't have any money. And she's very young, so we just rode it around all <laughs> day awesome. long. No, that's awesome. <laughs> no, we actually went into the, the park. <laughs> exactly. We actually went into the park. But I remember thinking as a dad, I just I delight in giving her these experiences, right? I, I enjoy connecting with her. But, Andy, as, as we've gotten older, I watched my daughter grow up from, you know, preschool to and then we hit junior high years, and uh, I make fun sometimes of junior high years because it's painful in my own life. <laughs> um, but but the truth is is there's a junior higher in all of us. Yeah, I think yeah. I'm not sure that we ever fully get over that awkward social interaction of who am I? Am I comfortable in my own skin? Will they like me? I feel like sometimes the the junior high guy up against the wall at the dance, you know, yeah. please don't call on me, yep. don't do anything. And I think that happens at church sometimes, and so. There are some real challenges to sharing the gospel in our lives. And one of those is just our own internal sense of, of insecurity and identity. Do they know me? Uh, like, like at Four Corners, there were about 600 or so of us that would meet on a Sunday, about 800 to 900 that would gather over the course of a month. And I don't know that we knew everybody, but we kind of knew everybody. And then all of a sudden, there's 200 to 250 different people showing up here, and we don't know everybody anymore. Right. And then, it, and then in your insecurities, it's us and them, what's changing, oh my gosh, right? you know, we never did this any before, we didn't, and that's wrong, and then it be, just becomes this sort of, I'm going to find fault, we go on a fight, fault-finding mission, versus, is God up to something that's unfamiliar to us, but I'm going to actually grow, right? And so those words, encouraging, comforting, and urging further into what God wants, not what we want. So things aren't always as they were, and sometimes I don't feel this significant. I mean, you have spoken here on this stage that I would do 48, 49 weeks a year. It's insane. And it, it's insane. And, and you know, I, that's an unhealthy thing. So it's really awesome that you can do that, and you do a great job. I'm not just, you know, pandering here. more about that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, <laughs> but the truth is, it's different. It's different. Yeah. Right? And then the folks that came over with LifePoint and joined here, they heard you 45, 50 weeks a year, I'm assuming. Yep. And, and I'm up now. And you go shorter, do not applaud. You go shorter, <laughs> I go longer. You know, and we I have a different. Have anything good to say. <laughs> we, we, we have a different style, and it just feels. And so it yeah. would be real easy for me to yeah. sit over there, and that junior higher in me would rise up and go, yeah. do, do they like him yeah. better than me? What, yeah. Right? But. I put all that behind because we're not here to please people, including me. We're that's here to good. encourage, comfort, and urge this thing on with God, right? Yeah, that's so good. like a parent, we have to give up. We have to sacrifice what we love for what we love more. Yeah. And then you watch as this now begins to become the people's choices in verse 13. We also thank God continually because you, you received the word of God. 
I mean, you took it in, you owned it. So that's the big shift, isn't it? A healthy church starts to take ownership of their own faith. It's not pastor grow me, it's how do I grow? How do I cooperate with what God's teaching me? How do I leave here now on Monday and begin to take that step and make it part of the rhythm of my life? And so he says, you know, you, you didn't just accept it as a good idea, a, a world philosophy, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at, and then kind of, will you just say these, this, these next three, at work where? In you. It's at work in you. And that, again, is why I love the idea. How is God at work in your life? And what we're very excited about is this concept of watching more and more and more people who can begin to point to a work of God, not just around them, but in them, in their family, in their marriage, in their children, in their careers, where you start to shift from what do I get to what can I give? I'm telling you, you make that shift, and it is not natural, because we're all naturally junior high kids, aren't we? You know, but when you start to think, what can I give? What can I pour my life out for? You will, you will go leaps and bounds beyond the dialogue of, is this church a, mer-? you know, you'll go, the kingdom is moving in northern Cincinnati and I get to be a part of it. So what we want to do is we want to jump uh, over the next few minutes to just some next steps. Uh, you don't have to pull out your connect card yet. We're going to get to that. But I want to talk you through a few things that are just obvious to me. So I, I, I let you know that about 60 adults have said, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. That's, that's huge. So the next natural step then is baptism. And so this Sunday, right here on this stage, we have a baptism. So for instance, here's how important baptism was to the early church. Um, Acts chapter 2, here's the apostle Peter talking, and he says, And Peter said to the crowd, Repent, turn to Jesus. Away from yourself and sin to Jesus, and then be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he's bringing meaning and gravitas to baptism, that there's something special about that, that when people go under the water, symbolizing death with Christ, and they're raised to life, something powerful and spiritual happens. And that's why we take it seriously around here, and every month, to give an opportunity for people to do that. So here's a few reasons why somebody would want to be baptized. And I'd like you to just kind of walk through this with me for a second. The first one is, is God calls us to obey him in baptism. Jesus was baptized. We model after him. All of us are called to be baptized. And the challenge is in our church, given that a lot of folks who are baptized as infants, as a Catholic or Episcopalian, maybe a Methodist or a Presbyterian, those are the, the screams of Christianity that tend to do that. You know, you watch us do these adult baptism, and you wonder what's going on. And so uh, what, what we say to that is, is that um, when you were baptized as a baby, what your parents were doing was acknowledging that you were born into a family that had faith. And they were engaging you before you could choose for yourself. They were engaging you as a part of their family choice. They chose for you what you, one day they hoped, would choose for yourself before you could even think about it. And so what we ask people to do is to think through that. And we don't think you have to be rebaptized. That's not where we're going with this. I know some people believe strongly that. But what we're asking people to do is to think through and say, look, is there a way that perhaps 
You could honor the baptisms that your parents chose for you, maybe by being rebaptized. Now, in, in other churches, the way they honor that choice that parents make, they have a thing called confirmation. So somewhere around 12, 13, 14 years old, you confirm the faith that was brought to you when you were baptized. We don't really have that process here because we don't baptize babies, but we think that perhaps getting baptized in water, a choice you made, not your parents made, is a way of honoring that heart that they had for you anyway. And that's something for you to think through. But many people have, have, have said that's exactly what they're doing. And I remember some friends of mine who went to the Holy Land, and they're standing at the Jordan River, and they're following Jesus. But there they are at the point where Jesus was baptized. And there's an opportunity, if you've ever been, there's an opportunity to be baptized in the Jordan. And these people didn't need to be baptized, but they thought that was a great time to affirm or to remember their baptism. And so as I looked at these 60 people who said yes to some level, I started thinking about why be baptized. Well, because we're honoring God. We're choosing for ourselves what our parents chose for us. We're remembering something that we've done before. But then I began to think about why not be baptized. And I think there's a, a primary reason why people don't get baptized who, who maybe should. And here's the first one. It's fear. It's fear of the unfamiliar or fear of what people will think. Like, what will people think if I've been in church and I check next step A, that's kind of private, and now I go public with my baptism? Well, I get that. I, I think it's reasonable. But I'd ask you to think about stepping up Moving from just children into this idea of owning what God wants for you and to think about possibly getting beyond that fear. Like, what if you laid aside what other people think? And a lot of times I hear, well, you know, it's going to dishonor my parents. It's going to dishonor grandma. I hear grandma a lot. But just remember, they chose for you before you could choose for yourself that they would like you to be a part of God's activity in your life. That's what that infant baptism was. What, what if you chose that for yourself? And since we don't have formal confirmation, what if this were a way to do it? And what if you didn't worry about what everybody else had to say, and you just over the next few minutes said, God, would it honor you if I got baptized? And that's a discussion for you to have with you. And sometimes there's a misunderstanding about the point of baptism. Like, I've got to get my junk all together, and when I get it together, then I'll get baptized. That's not at all what baptism is. Baptism is a first step of a follower of Jesus to say, look, I'm acknowledging that for the rest of my life, I'm going to walk with Jesus because he's going to walk with me. Yeah. And I often say to folks that are getting baptized, here's the deal here. Because Jesus is more committed to you than you've ever, ever are going to be able to be committed to him. But because you've chosen to walk with him, I'm going to baptize you. So baptism isn't about getting it all together. And then when you do, you, you just, you know, seal the deal. The fear, misunderstanding, and then finally, sometimes just the lack of opportunity. Today, right here in this room, we have a baptistry, and the water's hot, cool, warm, somewhere in between. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't touched it yet. Sometimes I've said it's warm, and it's been cold. Sometimes I've said it's cold, it's been warm. I, my hunch is it's warm, um, but we have opportunity. And so this happened in the New Testament, in Acts 22. Uh, the the uh, Luke is writing the story, and he says, and now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away. Or in Acts 8, uh, Philip was traveling down the road, and it says, as they traveled along, they came to some water, and this, this eunuch said to him, this guy that was talking about the Bible, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. Andy, 
We're going to give people a chance to be baptized today. Yeah, we went out and bought some clothes for you. So we've got all the outfits that you need in the size that will hopefully fit. And we've got hair dryers and combs. So we've tried to remove that obstacle. And we want to create a moment just for you to search kind of where you are. And if you've never responded to this invitation, ask, who do I want to please? God? Is God wooing me? Would it be that time? And we're just going to see what God does today. If nobody responds, there's nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. But we are very open to just the leadership of God's spirit as we kind of wrap up this invitation. And so Pastor Ben's going to walk us through. And then at that point, when you've checked that box, we're going to ask that you'd leave your seat. You're going to walk right over to that door. And there will be a couple pastors, me and maybe some other people. We'll just ask some questions and see how you're doing, what God's doing in you. And then we'll get you changed. And then you're going to walk up and you're going to be baptized. And I can do it. Pastor Ben will do it. Whatever you'd like. And we're just going to embrace the moment. Embrace the little bit of chaos that it'll create. We'll all be okay. And I actually think we'll be better for it. We'll be better for it. So really try to enter into that moment with us right now. So moving forward, this will be something we'll carry um, with us. It's not a one-time deal. But today, if today is the day you're feeling pulled, we will probably, while we sing our last song, as we take some next steps, you'll probably want to say, God, what would honor you? And then literally, you'll be given a chance to stand up, walk right over here. The question will be something like, have you committed your life to Jesus? Seriously? And don't go alone. Come come with the person that is with you. Oh, that's good. Grab yeah, that just person. Just grab somebody. We have clothes for you. We have towels. Um, you can do this today. All right, here, here's another thing you can do. Let me just throw this out. We're going to spend a lot of time on it. Like, are you giving, number two, to support the mission of our church financially at the level God's calling you to give? Now, we're doing well. And so there's a, a financial report that will come out in about the next 14 days on the four corners side. So those of you that are used to getting that, you'll get that. But as a church, things are going well. But the point isn't, are we meeting the budget? The point is, is are you giving? And if you're not, I just ask you to pray about that. God, what would you have me do? Now, there's a third opportunity, Andy, to serve in this summer. Why don't you tell folks about yeah, that? Yeah, we're just coming into the summer, and so we know that serving in areas of ministry can be really difficult. How do I get in? How do I get out? And what do I, how do I say no to you? So we've got about a 28-week uh, you know, summer when you consider serving opportunities. And we're asking if you would consider six of those. So if you're thinking weeks, it's six out of 12 weeks, however you want to cut that pie up. We've got two areas we'd like for you to consider. Would you help in children? And would you help in guest services? People make a decision upon returning to their church within the first seven minutes of attending a church. So that means by the time they're sitting in here, they've already determined will they leave. And they do it primarily by how they're greeted. Did you say hello? Were you kind? Was the check-in experience good? So could you help us make that a good experience? And if you're not serving, this is a great in and a great out. I promise you, you won't be bait and switch. You can, you can say, I've served my summer. We're heading back to the fall. But if you'd like to be part of that, Ben's going to walk us through a step. We're going to ask you to check that step and indicate the area. Give it a try. You stay because of responsibilities. You stay because of relationships. And you leave when you're missing them. So if you're sitting in the sidelines trying to figure this out, don't go that route. Get your shirt dirty, get in the game, and then figure it out. But you'll never figure a church out watching it. You'll figure out a church by being part of it.
so I want you to be a part of it. So 13 weeks beginning June, July, and August, we're asking you to serve six services, not six Sundays. That would be two services. One Sunday, uh, on a Sunday, you would choose a service, and you would do that six times. This allows people who need to go on vacation because vacation breaks, you fill in those gaps, but you get to be around the team. And here's, here's a fourth thing. We're getting ready to launch our summer small group, and we're asking many of you to consider leading or co-leading if you don't feel fully up to leading. And if you were to, when we take our steps, check this box, we're going to give you a chance to have a conversation with our leadership team. And you can literally step in. You're like, well, I don't know if I'm even a part of this church. It's all right. Have a conversation, and they'll vet that out. And we'll link you up with somebody and put you in a system where you can win. But we're getting ready to launch our summer small groups, and that's where we get out of these rows, we get into circles, and we start getting to know one another on a deeper level. And one of our team members would love to talk with you about that. So we've had four opportunities so far introduced today. Baptism, stepping up financially, serving six times this summer, and then possibly leading or co-leading this small group. And here's the fifth one. And it's the most nebulous, but maybe the most important. It's not as clearly defined. We'll say it this way. Will you extend grace? Andy, talk to us about why this is well, so important. Again, I just think that the, the best advice I ever got in leadership was lead with questions, not directives and accusations. The, the bottom line is I don't know why you do what you do. I might not like what you do. I might not understand what you do, but I will make tremendous inroads towards you when I ask, why do you do what you do? And I actually seek information versus think that I'm right, you're wrong, and somehow I you know, have got the, the role of the accuser. And, and I would just say to you, churches go sideways over the simplest stuff, and it's when we forget to ask questions, we forget that we withhold trust, and uh, I just think that grieves the heart of God. And I unapologetically call us to not act as everything outside of culture and act every way towards each other. And so let's extend grace to each other. There's no manual here to tell us everything we're doing. I'm going to lead. Ben's going to lead. Matthew's going to make mistakes. I assume if you were – I'm sorry. I didn't mean that like – but here's – no, in all seriousness <laughs> – we're gonna I've been wanting to say grace. that all week. We're no. going to extend some grace no, right now. No, but here's the thing. <laughs> I assume if you were in a role of responsibility, you might make mistakes. So could you just give some grace? Um, and boy, I think the more grace we're given, the more grace we get. So uh, it's not an excuse to, for us to slack off and be poor leaders, but it is just to create an atmosphere for us all to win. And the last thing I would say about extending grace, let's try to embrace we and not the us-them thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. We are all now, we're Horners, we're all now one church. So we've had to do this on the staff. If we're talking about what was, you know, there's some learnings we can bring forward, but really it's one team. So at this point, let me remind you of our key verse, because we love you so much. Mm. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, <clears throat> but our lives as well. For the next four weeks, we're going to, in a different way, more traditional methods, talk about how we as a congregation are going to serve to honor God, not people, and do the gospel and our lives. So with that said, now at this point, would you grab out your connect card and let's take a few steps together in as a congregation. So every week we give people a chance to choose next step A. And next step A for us is directly on point with the mission of this church. Today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. 
If you don't today have a relationship with him, you can literally change that in a moment. You can come to the place where you say, Lord, I agree with what your Bible says about me, but I need you, and I'm a sinner. Left to my own, I'll mess it up, and I need you to lead my life. So if you want to do that, I ask you to check the box right there. And in a few minutes when the offering buckets come by at the end of our service, we're just going to put the card in the box. And then this week we'll communicate with you about what it means to follow Jesus. And in a second or two, I'm going to pray and give you a chance to use your own words or use mine and say to God with your head bowed and your heart open, God, save me, lead my life, be my forgiver, and be my leader. Or next step B, today I'm choosing to be baptized. And you can literally check it. And when the band starts to sing the very first song in just a moment after we pray, you will maybe grab the person next to you and you'll walk up and you'll go right over here by this door. Now, Pastor Andy said, if nobody does it, that's fine. But if you're supposed to do it and nobody does it, that's not fine. So when we pray, perhaps you're going to say, God, I feel pulled. I feel pulled. And then you're going to get up and just say amen and you're just going to walk over here. If you're feeling that way, don't wait for everybody else. This is about you and you doing what's right for God. And as a family, we will celebrate with you. You'll be encouraged in that. Here's next step C for us. It's right on point with what we said. I'm going to volunteer for six of the 26 Sunday services. About 13 weeks, two services a day, 26 services. We're asking you to pick six of them, and we'll work with your schedule to serve in kids, men, or guest services June, July, and August. We'll work with your schedule. You check the box, I'm going to be in touch with you this week to get that lined up. And you'll allow some of our volunteers to take a break, and you'll actually get your hands dirty on the team. Or next step, D, I'll lead or co-lead a 4C small group this summer. You check the box, somebody on our team will be in touch with you, and we'll figure out a spot for you. And maybe it doesn't work, but if you're feeling pulled, you go ahead and check the box, and we'll have that conversation. Now, here's the last one, because we value honesty. Next step, E says... I want to talk with the 4C staff person about my experience with the merge so far. You check the box, we're going to lend trust, and we'll have an honest conversation over a $2 coffee at Waffle House, because I'm not going to spend six, seven bucks on a coffee for this conversation, but we'll have a, a $2 conversation, or a, a $20 conversation over a $2 coffee, and we'll just talk about how it's going, and we'd love to, a member of this team would love to hear how things are going for you. Let's pray about these things right now. Father, I want to take a moment and thank you for all that you've done. We see your hand at work. God, like the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, we've seen, we have seen results. God, now what we want to do is give ourselves fully over to what you want to do in and through us. We want to move from just being children that enjoy what you have to picking up the responsibility to help make it happen like, like parents. We want to be good stewards of what you've put in front of us. Right now, God, I'm praying for all those people that are declaring, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Wash away my sins. Cover me. I put my faith and trust in Jesus, the risen Son of God. God, I'm praying right now for all those that have been thinking about baptism and they've seen it and they've thought maybe. But God, today, in this moment, they just have a little honest conversation with you. Put aside fear. They do what you're asking them to do. God, thank you for making us better together and doing your work in us, even as we try, God, to be conduits, conduits of your work through us. We give all of this to you. We 
pray it in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen and amen.